The reading is taken from 1 Kings, chapter 19, which is on page 360 of the Church Bible. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread and baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he travelled for forty days and forty nights, until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nishki, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Apelmaloa, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not 
bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak round him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's a privilege to speak today. And uh, this is your series, isn't it? The Lord, he is God. I've been really blessed over the last couple of weeks as I've listened along online. And I'm sure it's been a great encouragement to you as it has been to me. And today we're going to be speaking, of course, on 1 Kings 19. It's a great passage. And my hope and prayer is that it will be a great encouragement to you as well today. I wonder if you've ever felt like you're at the end of your emotional, physical and spiritual resources. Ever felt like throwing the towel in? giving up because you aren't seeing results, ever felt like you're the only Christian in your workplace or in your school or maybe in your local sports team, maybe you're feeling like the church just isn't growing, no one is coming to faith, maybe you're in a situation where you're just beginning to doubt whether all this is true, maybe just maybe you're here today and you're just feeling overwhelmed by the disappointments in life. Well, regardless of what season you're in today, I believe that God has many things to teach us in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. You've seen already in this series that the Lord provides. In chapter 17, you saw how the Lord provided for Elijah and the widow and the whole family. Last week in chapter 18, you saw how God won a spectacular, miraculous victory using Elijah on Mount Carmel to defeat the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And this week we're going to see how God is full of grace and compassion and he works in many unexpected ways that people do not notice. As we turn to chapter 19 and verse 1, I'm reminded that there are very few less pleasant and more painful things for a husband to do than to tell his wife some bad news. In my experience, that's because the bad news is almost always, at least in part, the husband's fault. Have you noticed that? Whether it's, sorry, I forgot to pick up the milk, or sorry, I forgot to pick up the kids, or, you know, sorry, I've got to work all weekend after all, it's never much fun. Uh, This week I've been in Spain celebrating my younger brother's wedding on Friday, and uh, my wife was at home with our two kids. And as I got back on the the plane on Saturday morning, I just imagined the conversation if I had to ring her and say, my flight has been delayed, I'm not going to be back for another 10 days. And I'd imagine that that wouldn't go down very well. So I've got some sympathy for Ahab in verse 1 when he has to tell his wife Jezebel about the little tiny incident with the prophets. You see, in verse 1 it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and he had killed all the prophets with the sword. He's like, honey, you know those you know, 450 prophets of Baal? Well, you know, they're kind of dead. And I can imagine her saying, what? What about the prophets of Asherah? Well, they're kind of dead too, I'm afraid. 
And I can imagine Jezebel wouldn't be very best pleased. You see, the Bible doesn't record, you know, her swear words that she might have uttered. And the Bible doesn't record maybe the things that she threw around the house. But it's clear that she's pretty angry. Fortunately for Ahab, we see in verse 2 that Jezebel doesn't direct her anger toward him, but toward Elijah. So verse 2, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life that one of them. Jezebel, of course, issues a threat, doesn't she, to Elijah. She wants to kill him. She wants him gone. It's understandable, perhaps, given what has just happened, but it reveals to us her character and her commitment to Baal worship. After all, she's the one who should be afraid, right? Think about it. In chapter 18, the Lord has done something amazing. The Lord has used Elijah to wipe out 850 prophets and provided irrefutable evidence that he is the Lord. That Yahweh is the one and only true God. And after seeing 850 prophets die, you would imagine that this woman would repent, put her trust in Jesus, because she might be afraid of him. But instead, she wants to kill the Lord's prophet. How stubborn. How hard-hearted. She is the one that you would expect to be frightened. She is the one you would expect to be running for her life. Yet instead, Elijah is doing just that. Did you see that in verse 3? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Elijah, he's the one who should have been really confident, right? He's just witnessed one of the most miraculous, memorable moments of the Old Testament. He's just prayed down fire and rain from heaven, and yet he's the one who is afraid. Some translations prefer the word sore to afraid. And you see, this should have been his greatest moment. This should have been him celebrating. This should have been him going around on a victory parade with everyone lapping up and celebrating. Well done, Elijah, you've done it. But all he can see is Jezebel. All he can see is her, and so he runs for his life. It's a bit of an anticlimax to what has just happened. But it shows us the reality of ministry and serving God You see, we can all have spiritual high moments, which are followed by moments out in the wilderness. Isn't that what happened to Jesus? If you remember, he got baptized one moment, and the next moment he immediately gets led out into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Elijah here has his own wilderness moment. Verse 4, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. It's been said that the wilderness makes or breaks a man. Elijah has come to the end of himself, literally come to the end of his resources, and this is a key moment in his life and ministry. Will the wilderness make him or break him, and what lessons will he learn along the way? I think there are at least four things that we can learn from Elijah and his, and his ministry through the rest of this chapter, and I'm hoping that particularly if you're here today, maybe you're finding it tough, maybe you're finding life tough or serving God tough, I'm hoping this will be a real blessing to you. The first thing I think that we can learn from Elijah is that gospel work is critical but costly. Gospel work is critical but costly. Have a look at verse 4. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Clearly, Elijah is not in the best place. He's about to throw in the towel, hand in his resignation, quit serving God, and he wants to die. He was expecting good things, wasn't he, from Mount Carmel, some kind of revival. 
but it just didn't happen. Israel is still being led by the evil Ahab and Jezebel. Their idol worship is literally pouring out poison into people's hearts and lives. Elijah is in danger, and so he runs for his life. And here we see that he's, he's just full of self-pity, isn't he? All he cares about is himself. See, gospel work is costly. You can spend years sowing seeds, praying that things would change, doing things the right way, doing the right things, and yet nothing happens. Uh, we can suffer persecution on account of our faith, can't we? Perhaps you're in school or college or in the workplace. Maybe you're afraid of speaking up about the Christian faith. And that can be costly. If you were to do that, people might think badly of you. People might call you names. It's costly. Elijah here literally runs for his life. There's some people around the world, of course, as we know, that are literally running for their lives on account of their faith. And at times it can just be too much. At times it can just feel like we want to give up. During the COVID pandemic, um, it was difficult for everyone, wasn't it, to some extent or another. The emotional, spiritual, physical toll was evident for everyone to see. Many people perhaps said, along with Elijah, I've had enough. I want to give up. I want to quit. Of course, we know many people did quit their jobs. People called it the great resignation at times. I know a number of people who left the ministry and many others who felt like they wanted to leave the ministry. I know others who left their jobs and stopped perhaps even serving in the church. See, the pandemic hit people pretty hard, didn't it? And as a society, we tend to want to move on quite quickly. But actually, when we really stop and think about it, the pandemic wasn't that long ago. And people are still recovering from its impact. I personally went through a difficult time during the pandemic, as I've mentioned previously in the interview. I've got two young kids, and I felt the pressure of you know, meeting their needs as well as the church family's needs. And the, the toll of the pandemic took its, took its impact on me. There were days when I literally wanted to quit. I wonder whether you felt the same. Discouraged, tired, powerless. Feeling like the gospel isn't moving forward. Feeling like maybe church attendance is declining. Maybe feeling just like life is pretty bleak right now. Well, when we're sitting around in those situations, feeling sorry for ourselves, it's really, really important that we have self-awareness and a bit of perspective. Self-awareness and a bit of perspective. Elijah is just looking at Jezebel. That's who he sees. And he had little self-awareness. He couldn't realize that he was just tired and hungry. I wonder what you're like when you're tired and hungry. We're all humans, right? We're all humans. And clearly, none of us can be 100% if we're tired and hungry. He had a physical problem, and therefore he needed a physical solution, which we're going to come to in a moment. But he also needed a bit of perspective. God was with him, right? God had already done amazing things. God had already shown his power and might and shown that there's no other God apart from him. God was still working in people's lives. We saw that with the widow in chapter 17, and we see that with Elisha later on in this chapter. God is still at work changing lives, and yet Elijah had lost perspective. He wanted to die. He was full of self-pity and doubt. You know, I'm pleased to say that during the pandemic, whilst I wanted to quit ministry on many occasions, clearly I didn't, otherwise I wouldn't be stabbed here today. Uh, but God got me through it. And I was helped by other friends helping me gain a bit of perspective and reminding me of the calling that God had placed on my life. You see, the, the gospel is great work. We're about a great work, aren't we? But it's costly. Romans 1.16 says, the, power, uh, sorry, the gospel is the power of God for salvation of all who believe. 
Acts 4 verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved but by the name of Jesus. It's critical that the gospel goes out. It's the only way that people can be saved is by putting their trust in Jesus. But it's costly. Costly but worth it. We're about eternal work. We're about the business of eternal salvation. Nothing is more weighty or important than that. And I'm not just talking about clergy, by the way, or people on paid staff at a church. Every single one of us, right? If you're a believer here today, every single one of us are caught up and called into God's purpose and mission in the world. It's about gospel work and kingdom work. I wonder how you're doing today. I wonder, like Elijah, whether you're in need of a bit of greater self-awareness or perspective and encouragement. That's the first thing that we learn. Gospel work is costly yet critical. The second thing we learn is that God cares when we are discouraged. Did you see that twice in verse 5 to 8, an angel appears to Elijah and provides him with food and water? Isn't that amazing? God cares for the weak, depressed, broken servant and provides for him. I love it how God loves to meet our physical needs. You know, sometimes all we need is a bit of sleep, right? A bit of sleep, a bit of food, a bit of drink. Brilliant. Sometimes that's all we need to get back on our feet. See, once he'd eaten, once he'd had his physical needs met, God wanted to meet his spiritual need. Did you see that in verse 8? He got up, ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. He now goes on an all-expenses-paid holiday. Anyone like a holiday? We love a holiday, right? He now goes on a holiday, like a spiritual retreat. He goes for six weeks on a spiritual retreat, 40 days and 40 nights. And notice how that's the same length of time that Moses was on Mount Sinai. And he travels all the way, he's about 200 miles, to the same place. You may not have picked this up, but Horeb, the mountain of God, is the same name for Mount Sinai. Isn't that just incredible? To meet his spiritual need, God sends Elijah on a trip to remind him of who God is and what he's done. He's literally reminding Elijah of how he, God showed grace to the Israelites, bringing them out of slavery in Egypt and taking them to the promised land. In his grace, doesn't God love to remind us of who he is and what he's done? I wonder if you're in a difficult moment. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're tempted to quit today. Why don't you stop and look back? Consider God's faithfulness towards you. How he's been faithful after year, after year, after year. Just like he's been with you in the past, God is with you now in the present. And God will be with you in the future. God takes Elijah on this spiritual retreat to help remind him that he is a God who keeps his promises. That he's faithful. And that's the third thing that I think we need to learn. God always keeps his promises. Let me read verse 9 to 11 again. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. You see how God shows his concern for Elijah? He asks him a question. What are you doing here? Like a good counsellor, God is saying, I'm here to listen. Come, pour out your heart to me. I'm ready to listen. I want to take it. 
And of course, Elijah pours out his heart. And it's obvious that, you know, Elijah had zeal for the Lord, right? But what's interesting is that he uses the past tense. Did you notice that? I have been very zealous. But now look, God, everything has gone to pot. Everyone has rejected you. People are being put to death. And look, I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too. Where do you think Elijah's focus is on? His focus is on himself, full of self-pity. He's forgotten about the promises of God. I think we can get a little bit like that as well, can't we? And I think we can fall into one of two errors. The first error we can fall into is we can think too highly of ourselves. We can get some kind of saviour complex, can't we? Like, we're here to save the whole world. We can think, oh, you know what? It's, It's all about me. Whatever I do will save the world, will change our community. And when it doesn't happen, we can get depressed like Elijah. The second danger that we can fall into is we can think too little of ourselves. The first one is we can think too highly of ourselves. The second one is we can think too little of ourselves. And we can think, oh, God can never use me. I'm weak and feeble. I haven't got many gifts. God can't use me. But the truth is, that's a lie, isn't it? Because God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the strong. God uses the broken people in this world to fulfill his promises. In either case, either of those two dangers, we're thinking too much of ourselves, aren't we? And not enough about God. See, when I uh, left my previous church in South East London, as I mentioned earlier, um, I I had a saviour complex, uh, to be honest with you. I thought, I'm going to leave this church behind, and you know what? It's going to crumble without me. That's what I thought. How foolish, right? How proud am I when actually, of course, we know that it's God who built his church. Jesus is the king of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. But I had too much of a high opinion of myself. And of course, since I've left, the church is thriving. It's going really well by God's grace. You see, God has infinite resources and he uses people all over the time, all all the time. Okay? Elijah here is just focusing, focusing on himself. And what I find really interesting is that he says here, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left, Lord. Now, he may have been the only prophet left, but if you read further down in the chapter, you'll see in verse 18 that there are 7,000 others that God has in Israel. But Elijah's saying, I'm the only one left. Hang on a minute. God's saying there's 7,000 others. Isn't that mad? Do you not think that God can raise up another prophet out of 7,000? Well, of course he can. Because God has infinite resources, and yet Elijah is just looking inward. Ever felt like that? As I mentioned, you might be here today, and you might be thinking, oh, I'm the only Christian in my school, I'm the only Christian in my workplace, I'm the only Christian in my college. Aren't we very few? Look at all the lost people in our area. We're just very few, aren't we? You might feel like we're losing, or God is losing, and the world is winning. You can easily, you can easily slip into thinking that you're on your own, but you are not on your own. It's easy to forget there are billions and billions of Christians across the world who are going through similar trials. And we're all in it together, aren't we? And God is right in our midst. He always keeps his promises. He kept his promise to Moses. He kept his promise to Elijah. And he he keeps his promise with us today. In verse 11, it says, Stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Notice how Moses, years earlier, had said to God, in Exodus 33, you can check it up at another time. But Exodus 33, verse 18, Moses says to God, Now show me your glory. And the Lord replied, I'll cause, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. 
God promised to be with Moses and Elijah. He promises to be with us. And in Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, it says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. And of course, we know the Great Commission, right? Jesus says, I'll be with you surely to the very end of the age. Even when it doesn't look like it. Even when it feels like everyone's rejecting God and we're on our own. God is with us and he's still faithful to his promises. The last thing I think we can learn from this chapter is that God works through his word. Elijah thought that the fire and rain on Mount Carmel would bring revival. And of course, maybe we would. Humanly speaking, you'd think, oh man, like, he just prayed down fire and rain. Surely, surely people would go, oh God, is real, right? He thought that it would bring revival, it didn't. And now he's stood on this mountain and other elements are thrown in his way. It says, the wind came, but the Lord was not in the wind. Then there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. There was fire, yet the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire came a gentle whisper, and the Lord was in the whisper. See, God works through his word, and he loves to speak to people. Elijah comes out of the mouth of the cave, and the voice again says, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah repeats his rant and all of that from before. And the Lord gets really practical. He says, do this, do this, and do this. It's like instructions. And notice that all the instructions involve anointing people. Did you notice that? All the instructions involve anointing people. You see, God works through his word. He speaks to people, and he uses people to fulfill his purposes. Whispers are wonderful, aren't they? It reminds me of a teacher who might just whisper. So to get the children's attention in the class. We love whispers. And as soon as we start whispering, people start listening. And God is whispering to his people. Can you hear me, Elijah? Can you hear me today? From the front row to the back row. Can you hear me today? God is speaking to each and every one of us. Are we allowing his words to shape our thinking and our living? It's important that we continue to listen, right? In our everyday lives, listening to God's word, being shaped by God's word, listening to the whisper and allowing it to change our lives. I was really encouraged recently. I was chatting to a pastor in Wales. Um, he's he's uh, based in Wales. And he told me that uh, we were just sharing and he told me that he regularly goes around his community and speaks to people who don't attend church, who aren't believers, who frankly aren't thinking about God. But he'll strike up a conversation with them. And in the course of the conversation, he'll say to them, have you ever read the Bible as an adult? Have you ever read the Bible as an adult? And of course, uh, most people just say, no, of course I haven't read the Bible as an adult. Maybe I had Christian Christianity in my background as a child, but I've never read the Bible as an adult. And when they say that, he'll say, I'd love for you to read the Bible as an adult. And he'll give them like a copy of Mark's gospel and say, just go and read it. Start by reading And what I was really encouraged by is that he's seeing fruit from that. People are reading Mark's gospel, and he's seeing a couple of people just come to faith in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Because God speaks through his word. People are opening the Bible, seeing God speak to them, and having their lives transformed. As we come to the end of chapter 19, I very quickly want you to avoid the apparent contradiction. Because in Luke 9, if you know your Bibles well enough to know Luke 9... You might recall that someone wants to follow Jesus and he first wants to go back and sort out his family affairs. But in response, Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. 
Now that's a completely different context and so on. Elijah here is a committed man and he's actually told by Elijah. So Elisha is a committed man and he's told by Elijah to go back. So he's not disobeying a commandment or anything like that. Elijah tells Elisha to go back and sort out his domestic jobs and then he comes back to follow Elijah and become his servant. It's like God saying to Elijah, don't worry, I'll carry out my work. I'll work through my word. I've raised up Elisha. He's now going to carry on the work and I'm going to continue to provide servants of the word. And isn't that true of the Christian faith throughout history? God has continually provided servants of the word to continue his work. That's why we're here today, right? Because someone spoke the word to you, you became a Christian and you're here today. Or you're here today and you're a visitor, which is great, we'd love to see visitors in church, of course. But someone came to you and said, why don't you come to church? Or maybe you saw it on the website. But God continually uses servants and raises servants of the word up to go out and do his work. And that's what happens here. Elijah hands on to Elisha in the same way that Joshua followed Moses earlier on in the Old Testament. Do you realize that God cares for us more than we realize? Do you realize that God cares for his church more than we realize? Do you realize that God cares about our futures more than we realize? I could tell you several, several testimonies of how that's been true in my own life. And I'm sure you could say say the same if you've been a believer for a long time. God continually shows his faithfulness to us. Our role is to listen to him, to continue to listen to his whispers and be quick to obey. As we get to concluding today's sermon... Elijah eventually comes through his wilderness season and he's able to anoint Elisha as the next prophet. He makes it through the wilderness. And in this chapter, as we've seen, the gospel work is critical but costly. God cares when we are discouraged. God always keeps his promises and God always speaks through his word. But I want to leave you with this. Many years after Elijah, we encounter someone who is greater than Elijah. He too stood on a mountain and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Next to him on that mountain that day were both Moses and Elijah. And his few disciples were astonished. A voice came from a cloud and said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's speculation, of course, but I wonder on that day on the Mount of Transfiguration, whether Moses and Elijah may have looked at each other with a little smile and said, Amen. Amen. Listen to this man. Jesus is the word who became flesh. And our first responsibility is to listen to Jesus, to serve him and serve him in the strength he provides, pointing people always to his word, that they too may listen as well. Can I encourage us to do that today? Maybe today, let's commit to one another to listen to his voice, to listen to those gentle whispers and encourage others to do the same. Can I pray for us? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We're so thankful that you are the Lord. You have no rival, you have no equal You are the Lord, and you showed that in irrefutable ways time and time again through the scriptures. And we're so thankful that you speak to us today. In the 21st century, you speak to us. And I just pray for every single one of us here today 
I pray that you'd speak to us through your whispers. I pray that we'd be attentive to your word. I pray that we'd be a people who trust you and are quick to obey. I pray that this afternoon. I pray that on Monday morning when perhaps many of us are going out to work or we're serving our families or we're going into school. I pray we'd be attentive to your word. I pray you'd use us to spread your word. And I pray that we could be continually transformed by your life-giving spirit and the very word of God, I pray. May we be a people that continue to be built up in you and continue to trust that you are always faithful to your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.